I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Before the draft, we had on data and analytics expert Jim Coburn to talk about some of the top prospects that the Jets could be looking at in the draft. And now we know who they actually drafted. So I thought we'd have Jim back to talk about the data and analytics of all the specific prospects that are now going to be members of the New York Jets. And so he is back. He's, of course, the owner and operator of the Common Man Football YouTube channel. He's the only person to put out a data and analytics draft guide and one of my favorite follows on Twitter, Mr. Jim Coburn. Jim, thanks for coming back on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on again. So let's get right into it. I'm going to have you explain your scale again. I know that this is going to seem ridiculous for you, but for anybody who hasn't heard you on the program before, I want them to know exactly what these data and analytics sets are about so that when you explain it, they'll have a frame of reference. So if you could, let's start with that. Sure. Uh, Well, in terms of all the data stuff that I use, essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking a, a data point, and that data point could be athleticism, it could be like explosive or body strength, speed, flexibility. It could be production, which a lot of times is using market share data. And market share data is the percentage of a statistic. So like if a guy had, at least with de- defensive players, because we're going to be talking about a lot of defensive players for the Jets draft. Uh, if you have a player who has 10 sacks on a team that had 40 sacks, then that player had 25% defensive market share data as as it relates to sack data and all that i did was i took those individual data points of a player and do every single player at the position since 1989 so every single defensive tackle linebacker cornerback safety who was drafted from 1989 till today i got all of their statistical information through that lens and then ranked it from you know, the highest score, which, of course, is 99.99, to lowest score, which, of course, is zero. And then also looked at athleticism data dating back to 1999 because past 1999, the athleticism data gets a little wonky. And plus, they didn't really keep three cones as much past 1999. Um, you know, three cones is much more prevalent from 1999 to today in terms of reporting of that. So that's essentially what I did. Again, the scores just reflect how they scored compared to their peers. And then after that, I looked at all the information relating to their outcomes at the NFL level. So were they a multiple all-pro player? And again, when I say multiple all-pro, I'm talking three first-team all-pro selections during their career. Or were they multiple Pro Bowl, meaning they were selected to at least three Pro Bowls in their career? And I understand people kind of say the Pro Bowl doesn't matter anymore. Look at this guy getting a Pro Bowl selection. But... The Pro Bowl is, from a statistical standpoint, not a very common thing. And I think you'd be surprised at how many players may go to one Pro Bowl in their career or two, but don't reach three. Now, three is a very hard number to reach for most players because, you know, that means that for three years, 
people thought you were worthy to go to the Pro Bowl, and not every player gets that opportunity, if that makes any sense. So, you know, because of different things that happen in their career. And then, of course, long-term starter threshold deals with guys who are 64 start or more. Only 10% of every NFL player that's drafted reaches 64 starts in their career. So that just tells you the gravity of that number. I mean, I don't really have to say much else for that. And, then, of course, anything after that is, is back up to reserve level. You know, these are guys that are reserve is basically guys who are out of the NFL in four years. And then backup is basically players that have been in the NFL for more than four years, but they really never reached 64 starts in their career. So they're more like a backup type player. You know, they didn't really start a lot, but definitely was in the NFL for a while. Uh, and those are kind of the basis for the grades and the statistics. If you want to know more about it, you can also, you know, pick up any of my uh, NFL draft analytics guides. I go into greater detail with each position. Uh, you can also check out my videos on comment football on YouTube because uh, I usually go a little bit further into that as well. Or you can also check out draftcobernetwordpress.com and just look up market share data or analytics. And I actually have a lot of just general definitions for every single statistic. So it's a lot of information, don't get me wrong, but it's very easy to understand once you just get the general concepts down about what I'm talking about. Is I'm basically I'm I'm comparing a player's statistics or their athleticism data compared to every positional peer and just seeing where have the majority of the starters ended up based on this information, where the majority of the all-pro players or Pro Bowl players ended up based on this information. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What we're going to do is we're going to go through all the Jets draft picks, and then we're going to do a couple of the higher-profile undrafted free agents. Jim will give a brief overview of the player, give a comparison as far as what his data tells him about the type of player that he may end up being, and then he'll also say what he thinks of the pick in terms of where the Jets got him as far as what the data says, and then at the end we'll have conclusions where Jim can wrap up and say how he thinks the Jets did overall. So we'll start at the beginning with Quinn and Williams, and I know before the draft, Jim, you gave us an overview, so you don't have to go too crazy with this, but what do you think of the pick in terms of the data, where you think he should have been slotted and all of that? Give us a little bit of an overview and a comp. Sure. Well, I think Quinn Williams is a very, a very good pick for them. Uh, you know, he was someone that, based on overall data, you know, should have been considered a top three overall selection, which he was a top three overall selection. Um, I think that in this particular class, the way the draft ended up, you know, with Kyler Murray going number one overall and then Nick Bosa, I mean, Quinn Williams falling to three, I think was probably he probably should have been the top prospect or at least a second prospect so you know you got very good value you know a guy falling that far considering the other two prospects have a lot of question marks to their data but in terms of just his general information i mean he's a high 90 percentile uh production guy you know in terms of most of his statistical information uh he's a very young player as well you know which is usually a good indicator of success you know the, the younger a player is um, the more likely, more higher upside they have, at least in terms of like Hall of Fame potential, you know. 
Uh, and then in terms of athleticism data, he also had very good scores in terms of explosion and speed. Didn't do any flexibility testing, which is the only thing that kind of – the reason why Ed Oliver, based on my data, was higher than him is because Ed, Ed Oliver actually had like a full athleticism profile and Quinn Williams didn't. But they still were like neck and neck, you know, before athleticism testing. And then after, they were still neck and neck with Ed Oliver just having that edge due to flexibility. But Quinn Williams is still, you know, easily the top – the, either the, the you know the number one defensive tackle to the second best defensive tackle in the class, and mm. in terms of comps, I mean, based on his overall height and, and athleticism and and just production, he's very similar. To, you know, Kevin Williams. I don't know if people remember the Williams Wall, you know, mm-hmm. with the Vikings, but mm-hmm. um, he's very similar profile to Kevin Williams. Uh, you know, in terms of just his size, athleticism, and production, and you know, a lot of people may not be as familiar with that name unless you've been watching football, you know, your whole life. Oh, maybe not your whole life, but, you know, for the last two decades. But, you know, Williams was definitely, a, you know, multiple pro ball, multiple pro ball player and a very, very uh, good player. And I think he's, I mean, Williams, I think in general, is going to really upgrade uh, the Jets defensive line and they're going to get a lot of, uh, especially year one. I think there's a potential they could get a lot of year one impact from Williams. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Jets had no second-round pick. They had two in the third, and the first pick that they used in the third round was on Ja'Kai Polite, the edge rusher from Florida. I'm of the opinion that the Jets got a bargain at this spot. What do your analytics say? Well, Ja'Kai Polite, I mean, based on just production data, he had very good production across the board. He was basically high 80 percentile in terms of his uh, solo tackle sack and tackle for loss data. Only question marks was athleticism data in terms of what he actually did in terms of his explosion testing and speed testing. He was below average in terms of his explosion testing, below average in terms of his speed testing, and didn't do flexibility testing um, to have like a full profile on him. But I still think there's a chance he can become a starter because even though it takes him out of you know high quality outcomes, I guess with a guy like him. I think there is a potential that Polite could have like a Michael Bennett type career. And Michael Bennett was someone who also had, uh, you know, he didn't have the best athleticism traits coming out of, you know, Texas A&M, but he did have good production traits. And I think that there's a chance that Polite could be that type of guy where, I, I mean, he would have to become an outlier to have like really, really high quality outcomes for him. But I do think that there's the productions there. And for the most part, most guys that are really productive but not athletic, they usually still have a good chance of becoming starters. So I think Polite, even though his athleticism didn't really match his production traits, like he's not really going to become like the next Justin Houston, if you will. But I do think there's a chance he could become, you know, like a Michael Bennett type pass rusher. Um, and uh, and in, in terms of overcoming some of the character concerns from as well. So, but yeah, I felt like he, he was a good sort of pickup as far as, you know, becoming a long-term starter for the Jets. With their second pick in the third round, the Jets pick Chuma Adoga, the offensive tackle from USC. What do your analytics say about him? Yeah, in terms of Chuma, there isn't a lot of information to really say about him. He did have a speed score uh, in the 70 percentile area, which at least is Pro Bowl level. Uh, there wasn't any explosion testing for him. There wasn't much flexibility testing for him in terms of, you know, the short shell of the three count. Um, he does have good size characteristics. At the very least, I would say he has a good chance of having a starter. As far as a comp for him, I really don't have any comps because there's just so little, you know, information on him, I guess, you know, because there, he doesn't have enough of an athletic profile. But I think at the very least you have a starter. I mean, he 
he does look a little, uh, I don't know. I think people said that, you know, when they looked at him, they said instantly drug tested or something, uh, which I think is a little rude to say, uh, you know, because who knows, maybe he has, you know, some kind of thing here and there, but like, I, I feel like he has uh, a good, a good enough speed profile because speed definitely is one of the biggest indicators for starting offensive tackles is actually speed. I know a lot of people focus on explosion testing or short shell three cone and, Offensive coaches talk about that a lot because that, that's the only drill that they really care about. But in terms of actual data, the statistics, the facts, uh, most of the time offensive tackles that have above average speed go on to become starters. So at the very least, I think you could end up becoming having, you know, having a starter with him. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What do you think about where the Jets pick Polite and Adoga? You think that's about right? I think it's about right for both. I mean, Polite... Uh, in terms of first round, I mean, the fact that he ran as slow as he did and then went to his pro day and then ran even slower is indicative of, you know, some of his issues in the draft and, of course, you know, the whole character stuff, which I don't want to get into character concern stuff because, one, I don't have enough information about it, uh, you know, because I don't have the the type of access the teams have in terms of character evaluation. But I, I just feel like it was at least good value because he does have he was one of the more productive edge rushers in the class. And it wasn't like his athleticism testing was Jalen Ferguson level. I mean, Jalen Ferguson was way less athletic than, than Ja'Kai Polite. Uh, you know, uh, so th- there was a lot of edge rushers that definitely had a lot of really like more production than Polite. But Polite put up very good production against SEC talent. And his athleticism was bad. Don't get me wrong. It was bad, but it was not as bad as other edge rushers that may have gone higher than polite, uh, you know, because of, I don't know, I, I guess because they didn't fail the character stuff, I guess. I don't know. But it's whatever the NFL decides I'm going to do. But I felt like polite was at least good value just because he has a good chance to become a starter, even though his chances of becoming like a special player are a little bit less. And Adoga? Adoga, same difference, I think. He was a good value there. I mean, he did have an incomplete profile, but I think there wasn't a lot of tackles that really ran fast 40-yard dashes, or at least above average 40s in this class. Um, a lot of them had to like focus on um, explosion and uh, flexibility testing. Even Dalton Risner, like guys like Risner, for example, he was a guy who had kind of wishy-washy speed score. So I think Chuma was a good value there just because he does have at least an above-average speed score. He did play in the Pac-12, and there is a chance he can become a starter. And I also think there also is that Sam Darnold connection, too, because obviously they were teammates, so they know each other. You know, They have some familiarity there. So I do think Sam Darnold probably also had a little bit into why he was selected as well. So I think there's enough there to, to say I would say it was justified that you know he could become a starter. Moving on to the fourth round, the Jets traded down and ended up with Trayvon Wesco, the tight end out of West Virginia, known primarily for his blocking, although he did do okay when asked to be a receiver. Talk to me a little bit about what your data and analytics say about Trayvon Wesco. Yeah, well, Wesco, based on overall data, is, yeah, he's a blocker. He was, uh, he's below average productive. Uh, there is not a lot. The, the Pro Bowl threshold for tight end is about 25 uh, and the reason why that is is because of guys like Jimmy Graham. You know, Jimmy Graham was a guy who really wasn't that productive in Miami, but he had very, very crazy athleticism and physical characteristics for the position. Wesco is not Jimmy Graham. He doesn't have the same size characteristics. He doesn't have the same athleticism traits as Jimmy Graham, you know, high 90 percentile in terms of every sort of thing with him. 
but he does have enough athleticism. You know, he wasn't a bad athlete. He was above average athlete in terms of most of his profile. So I think in Wesco, I mean, the best thing you can expect is to have a blocking tight end, uh, you know, who can be a starter for you in, in certain packages and stuff. But if you're a fantasy football guy, I don't think Wesco would be the guy to select, I guess is all I'm saying. So, like, he might be more like a team-building starting tight end as far as, like, being a blocker, but not someone that is going to end up catching, you know, 50 passes a year or 40 passes a year. It may not even catch 30 passes a year, you know. What do you think about the value in the fourth round? I think the value in the fourth round is fine. I mean, the fourth round, there there were definitely some players that were still available in the fourth round that they could have taken. I mean, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was probably one of those players uh, who you know potentially could have got uh, you know him. Uh, but I, I don't think it was too bad. I mean, again, you're getting a guy who can help with blocking, a guy that can be a starter for you, but there definitely were a couple players here and there that they could have got that would have been better value. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's move to the fifth round now. The Jets got that pick because they traded down in the fourth, and they used it to select Blake Cashman, the linebacker out of Minnesota. We know the red flags there involve injury more than anything else. What do your data and analytics say about Mr. Cashman? Yeah, Blake Cashman is, I mean, there is the injury concerns and all those other factors, but you know, you're talking about the guy who's the third most athletic linebacker in the draft last year. You have Devin Bush, Devin White, and then you have Blake Cashman. Um, you look at his production data, he was in the high 80 percentile. Uh, it was for one year, but it was still a very, very good year for a guy like him. And then I think when you look at his overall production and athleticism comes, I mean, he's he's essentially, uh, uh, you know, a very high-end uh just very, very high-end type of uh, linebacker, you know. So there is question marks in terms of the injury concerns, and there's also con- the question marks in terms of, you know, the, the only one year worth of production. But I think there's enough there that he could at the very least become a long-term starter. So, uh, And I think the Jets in general do need to improve the linebacker corpse a little bit. I think, you know, Darren Lee, I know he uh, – you know, there's a lot of like things on Twitter saying I'm the best linebacker on the team, but like I, I, it would not be surprising to me if Blake Cashman ended up being the best linebacker, uh, if not year one, maybe year two, because he does have all the traits on paper. If he gets injured a lot and ends up out of the NFL, then it's understandable because of his background at, at, at college. But I think there's enough there, athleticism wise and production wise, you could end up becoming getting at least a starting linebacker at the next level. So it sounds like you think the Jets got a real steal in the fifth round with Cashman. Yeah. I mean, based on athleticism data, based on his production data, I mean, it's it's only one year worth of, of data, but I, I think there is enough there to suggest that he could end up becoming a starter. And, you know, a lot of times I – a lot of people grade me harshly or criticize me harshly when I talk about players who get drafted day three because they go, you're saying he's a backup, but that's where you draft backups. But – I just feel like day three is where you should be taking players that that can become backups, obviously, but are also players that can eventually become starters for you. And I think if you get a starter in day three, that's always going to be a steal because it's usually harder to find starters in day three. Statistically, no question about it, much, much harder to find starters on day three. And another guy that 
you would hope could become a starter, but his injury history may limit him as well. Two ACL surgeries on the same ACL, only played five games in the last two years, so I'm curious if there's even much data on him. Blessing Austin, the cornerback from Rutgers, you have anything on him? Yeah, Blessing Austin, uh, you know, in terms of his production, um, high 90% in terms of pass deflection data. Uh, in the year that he was really healthy, which I believe was like 2016, he was one of the – he had pretty much the highest pass deflection uh, data. Uh, he actually just had the highest production score in general for his age and for his level of competition because – and don't get me wrong, people go Rutgers level of competition, but again, Rutgers is basically a bad football team in a really high-end conference. You know, you get to play Michigan and Ohio State and, like you know, you have to play all these different programs that are just beating up on you, you know, putting 50 burgers on you consistently. But Austin was someone who, even th- despite the 50 burgers, was getting a lot of impact in terms of just, you know, um, breaking up passes at the, uh, you know, at the, at the, uh, in terms of just his general, you know, ability to find the ball and, and break it up. So, you know, he's someone that had very good skills from that standpoint, you know, being able to, to break up passes. Uh, his tackling ability wasn't the best. It, it definitely was below average, but below, you know, most cornerbacks that are below average in terms of tackling, it's not the worst thing in the world. Usually it just means that there were more, more man corners than zone corners. You know, they're basically less, they were not as close to the line of scrimmage. And because of that, they weren't able to, you know, tackle as much, but you know, again, he had good production, at least going back to the 2016 season, did have a lot of injury issues athleticism wise he did have above average explosiveness uh, he did have a, at least above average uh, speed uh, for his size and I think that you could end up getting a start with him he, he does have the injury concerns but I do think there is some positive him. so you think that he's the type of guy that it's worth taking a swing on in the sixth round because you said before that if you can get a guy with starting potential those are the type of guys that you really need to take because obviously plenty of these guys could become backups. He would fit into the category you were talking about, right? Absolutely. He fits into the same category. He's not the same as Cashman because Cashman, again, had elite athleticism traits to go with his production. But Blessing does have at least really good production traits with at least starter-level athleticism. So you're you're not getting the same type of prospect potential, but you're definitely getting similar because – he hits the production marks. He does have at least prerequisite athleticism, but he's not quite elite athleticism at the position. So, The Jets had no seventh-round picks, so we move on to three of the high-profile undrafted free agents who may have a chance to make the team. Let's start with Greg Dortch, who's the one that we hear a lot about, the wide receiver from Wake Forest. There's talk that he might stick even as a return man. What does the data say about Mr. Dortch? Well, Greg Dortch... Out of every wide receiver, if you just look at his production, his age, and his strength of schedule, he had the highest strength of schedule age-adjusted production score in the entire class. Uh, Examples of guys like that, Juju Smith-Schuster was one of those players one year, um, you know, who had the same sort of, like, high-end, you know, for his production with his strength of schedule with his age. He's not quite Juju Smith just because of height, because I think – the issue that that happened to Greg Dorch is that he's small. You know, he's not uh, six foot two. He's not even five nine. You know, he's about five foot seven, five foot eight. If you round up, potentially, you know, <laughs> or if he puts cleats on. Uh, but he does have at least decent athleticism traits. I mean, he has slot wide receiver athleticism traits. He's good 
flexibility and short shuttle, kind of Wes Walkery in terms of his athleticism traits, which I know uh, people associate that with, with white wide receivers that are short, but <laughs> his athleticism is very Wes Walker-y. Like if you look at Wes Walker's athleticism traits, you look at Greg Dortch, they're very similar in terms of just their overall athleticism traits. And I think that's what Dortch is. He's, he's a very young, uh, not very big, but definitely as a slot receiver, there's a lot of potential there for him to have a really, really good career. So, I mean, I'm rooting for Greg Dortch. I mean, he's a guy that I think has the film to go with it. I mean, if anybody's watched Greg Dortch, most people who watch a lot of wide receiver film are familiar with him in terms of his route running ability. Uh, he has, you know, good toughness. He's a small guy, but he can take a hit. So I think there's a lot of positives to Greg Dortch. I think he's someone that at the very least can become a starting slot receiver for the Jets. And I think for the, t- for the Jets in general, their wide receiver core is – I mean, most Jets fans would agree that the wide receiver core is, you know, decent, but it could be better. You know, like it, you're, it can always get better. So I, I think Dorch makes it better, and I think getting him as a UDFA is is really, really good value because he's just someone who has really good production, really good age profile, doesn't have elite athleticism, but does have at least some positive athleticism traits in terms of flexibility testing, and could easily become a starting slot receiver. Uh, and could surprise a lot of people as well if he becomes like a like a Wes Welker type guy because there is that potential with him. So you would say this is a guy that should have been drafted on day three because he fits into what we were talking about with a guy like Blake Cashman, but because he ended up as an undrafted free agent, the Jets got themselves another potential bargain. Pretty much. I mean, I, I was very shocked to see Greg Dorsch wasn't drafted day three. I mean, the amount of Play because because keep in mind day three is where sometimes players that were backups in college get drafted in day three and based on my data the vast majority of players that are backups in college end up becoming backups in the NFL if not out of the NFL faster than players that actually were starters in the NFL um, there's there's very few examples I mean Matt Castle is a quarterback of course but he's like the best example of like a guy who was a backup at USC. And then went on to become, you know, a starter at the NFL level. He wasn't great, but at least he became a starter. But yeah, I was very surprised to see Greg Dorsch didn't get drafted at least day three. But I do think that the Jets getting him as a UDFA is was very, very great value because he does have a chance to become a starter as a slot. Another guy that some people believe could stick on this roster as an undrafted free agent is Jalen Moore, the running back out of Appalachian State. A lot of injury concerns there, but some pretty good production. Yeah, he has, uh, you know, he's basically in the, uh, the 60 percentile, at least the, the three-time Pro Bowl area in terms of his production traits. Uh, he has, uh, you know, above average athleticism traits uh, in terms of his overall athleticism profile. Uh, his injury stuff is definitely a concern, but there's just a lot of positives in him. I mean, he was in the same area of most of the running backs in this class, like Ty Johnson and uh, Devin Azigbo, like he was in the same sort of production area of all those guys. And I think he has good enough traits on film with his production to suggest that he could become, you know, at the very least a rotational guy, but could end up becoming a spot starter or better if he gets the opportunity. So he's, he's definitely just like a really solid sort of UDFA pick. So another guy that very easily could have been drafted day three who slipped to an undrafted free agent and the Jets pounced and may have gotten themselves another bargain. Yeah, absolutely. He definitely, you know, fits that description. 
Last undrafted free agent that I wanted to ask you about, Jim, is the linebacker Jeff Allison out of Fresno State. What do you think about him? Yeah, Jeff Allison out of Fresno State, very good production profile. You know, he he was in you know the high eighty to ninety percentile. Uh, you know, depending on uh, yeah, pretty much in like the high eighty percentile in terms of his overall uh, production area. Uh, athleticism wise, he wasn't the best athlete, but he definitely had at least starter level athleticism traits. And uh, even when you adjust for his level of competition, because I know a lot of people say, well, you played at Fresno State, but he produced at such a high level at Fresno State that there, there's a better chance he translates translates to a starter than other players. So, uh, Because typically speaking, guys who do play at lower level competition, they usually have to produce a lot more to translate to the NFL level. And at least with Allison's case, he produced at a level indicative of someone who can translate to the NFL level. So I think he was a good selection just because he has the production traits. He has at least prerequisite starter athleticism traits. And I think there's enough there positively that he can become something decent at the next level. Sounds like the exact type of guy that you want as an undrafted free agent, somebody that you think could be a contributor. If not a starter, somebody that could at least come in and give you valuable depth. That's what these late-round picks and undrafted free agents are supposed to be for. And if you find a gem like a Robbie Anderson or a Snacks Harrison among the bunch, even better. We'll see if Dorch, Allison, or more ends up being one of those gems. But if they could even be useful rotational players, that would absolutely be worth bringing them in as undrafted free agents. Jim Coburn, the man who is behind the Common Man Football channel on YouTube, the Data and Analytics Draft Guide, which you should absolutely purchase. I'm going to let Jim tell you about that in a second. And, of course, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Follow Jim, and you will become a smarter football fan. Jim, thank you so much for coming back on again. Before I let you go, I don't know if you want to do a grade or however you want to handle it, but give me a quick overview of how you think the Jets did with this 2019 draft class, and you can include the undrafted free agents in there if you like. Sure. Well, you know, I don't really do grades on draft classes just because uh, a lot of times my grades, and a lot of people don't realize a lot of times drafts are so close together that it's like saying a guy had a B versus a B minus or whatever just doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, uh, I mean, usually I just do metric grades. But in terms of just the Jets, I mean, they had a decent metric grade. They got a lot of guys who uh, can be starters. Uh, I think the biggest measure of a class is if you get a high-quality player in that class. And I think in Quinn and Williams, you got one of the best players in the entire draft, you know, based on data, athleticism traits, and all those other sort of things. So I felt like in terms of the Jets draft, very defensive-heavy. I mean, I think you've got a lot of players that are more, going to be more impactful on the defensive side of the ball versus the offensive side of the ball, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But that would be my only sort of criticism about the class is that I think when you have a young quarterback like Sam Darnold, um, I do know that, you know, Le'Veon Bell is there and they did a lot of other things. But I just felt like there could have been maybe a few more pieces here and there offensively that could have you know, really help them out uh, to kind of improve things a bit in terms of the passing game. But other than that, I felt like it was a pretty decent draft. I think Quentin Williams is what really makes the draft uh, because if you don't have Quentin Williams, then it is kind of just like an average kind of class. But I think him being in there kind of elevates everybody else to, to make it a really good class. So it's very reminiscent of, you know, Jamal Adams to a certain extent in terms of that draft class where the majority of that class was just kind of okay. But Adams definitely kind of, you know, helps boost that class up a lot. 
you know, if that makes any sense. So I felt like the Jets had a pretty decent class uh, overall, and I think there's going to be a couple starters out of it, which is something that every team can get. I mean, I know a lot of people go, a couple starters, but hey, most draft classes, a lot of draft classes, there's no starters in those classes. So I think that you should be happy about this class if you're a Jets fan. And if you want more information about all these guys and the rest of the prospects that were in the 2019 draft, you can go ahead and order Jim's draft guide, which, of course, focuses on the data and analytics. You can watch his Common Man football show on YouTube, and you can follow him on Twitter. Jim, why don't you tell everybody how they can do all of those things? Sure. Uh, yeah, if you really want to get the 2019 NFL draft analytics guide, uh, you can go to my Twitter at Jimmetrics, J I M T. R I C S. Uh, it's basically pinned to my profile, so you can just kind of, you know, send me a message there, uh, and it'll take you to a page, and then uh, from there you can, uh, you know, get the 2019 NFL Draft uh, Guide. Uh, also, Common Man Football on YouTube. Uh, you can check that out. You can just type in Common Man Football YouTube, or you can also just type out, type in uh, NFL Analytics or NFL Data, and my videos will pop up there. Because I'm pretty much the only guy who does analytics videos, at least NFL analytics videos on Twitter. I'm not Twitter, but but on YouTube. So it's not hard to find me on YouTube. If you just type in analytics and NFL uh, or even Jets a- analytics, uh, my uh, videos on the Jets will come up. Go ahead and follow Jim on Twitter. Order his analytics draft guide. Trust me, that's something you want to own. Watch him on YouTube, Common Man Football. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.